thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Periods, menses, the curse, the dreaded monthlies. We are going to talk about all of those things today in this episode with Amanda Howe. Amanda is a qualified naturopath. Um, She's an author, a nutritionist, a herbalist, a mother, and a wife. She's got uh, two daughters herself. And um, she is really super interested in breaking the taboo around periods and women's health in general and women's hormones. So if you're a woman, this show is for you. You're going to love this episode. Now, um, we're going to obviously start off with um, what Amanda had for breakfast and what she thinks about wine and chocolate and coffee. But we've got a couple of reader questions from Nessie and Naomi. Thank you, Nessie and Naomi. And we'll get to those as well. We're going to talk about stress. We're going to talk about inflammation. We're going to talk about what to expect in a normal period and how heavy is heavy and how to measure it without getting egg cups out, making it all messy and how to talk to our children about periods. So it's a really awesome uh, episode and I didn't realize how old school my language is around <laughs> even doing this intro. I was like, mm, um, oh, it's a bit uncomfortable because you know, we've been socialized for years to hide this dirty thing behind closed doors, you know, and, and to not talk about it very much. And well, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? So, so there we go. A very interesting. You can find Amanda at www.asnatureintended.com.au. Slight pause there as I quickly check iTunes. I would love you to give me a rating and a review. I've so far got eight ratings, five out of five. Thank you so much. And I'm going to, every time I get a new review, I'm going to share it and give you a shout out on the show. How cool is that? So please go and leave me a five-star rating. I'd love to hear a review as well. This just means that this little podcast will reach more women and let them know that they can reclaim their health and change their life. So a review here from Linda Gripperick says, Helen is delightful. I love the good mix of experts and personal experience and wisdom. Helen keeps it real and informative. Thanks, Helen. Your podcast is lots of fun. Smiley face. Yay. Thanks, Linda. That's so cool. Love it, love it, love it. And that's your shout out. Thank you so much. Now, as you know, um, I am a primal health coach and founder of the uh, grain-free food range Primal Alternative. I'd love you to go and check out all of our grain-free breads, pizzas, jellies, and cookies. I really want to make your grain-free journey easier and take some of the stress off your load by doing some baking for you. So go to primalalternative.com forward slash shop. 
and you can check out our products and buy some of our uh, goodies as well. Now, Primal Alternative is different. We're not pumped out in a factory. Primal Alternative is produced by women with a passion for wellness who love to bake and that live locally to you. That's right. We are a national network of local producers. Think sisterhood. It's a really, really cool way if you're into clean living and you want to contribute in a way without having to you know, qualify as a naturopath and get clients or be a health coach or any of that, you can just go straight to the horse's mouth with food and help people you know, reclaim their health by baking for them and cooking for them and helping make a massive hands-on difference in their life. And I am recruiting more primalistas. So if you'd like to find out more about our products, more about this opportunity, and if you want to join our national network of local producers, head to primalalternative.com. And now on with the show. Let's talk to Amanda. Welcome to the show, Amanda Howe. I'm so looking forward to this episode and to breaking the taboo around periods. Hi. Hi, Helen. Thank you for having me. So cool to have you here. Now, you and I met at the Kayama Wellness Base Camp where I met like literally five new besties that weekend. How cool was it? It was such a great weekend. Personally and professionally, I thought it was great. Mm, Yeah, I loved it. Nothing better than coming together with like-minded people and, you know, sharing inspiration and coming away, you know, all the better for it. I loved it. And I was really um, interested in your exhibit that you had there because you had a picture of a womb, didn't you? A A uterus, yes. A uterus. Yeah, a uterus. Yeah, call it the right call it the right name. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And there was a funny moment there where Helen Patterin kind of like framed her face in your cardboard uterus, which was hilarious. She really, she really embraced it. Not everyone did, to be honest. Um, I was expecting more people to have fun with it, but Helen certainly did. Um, Some people who were born cesarean wanted their chance of rebirth through my cardboard uterus cutout. So yes, it was, it was pretty funny. That is funny. (laughs) Let's go again. Second time around. That's funny. All right. Well, before we get deep into our chat all around the menses and the curse and all these are the like hilarious terms that we've got for it. Let's find out what Amanda Howe had for breakfast. Uh, today I I intermittent fasted today, so I didn't have breakfast until 11 and I had scrambled eggs with um, fried off shallots, tomatoes and bacon with sautéed kale in lime juice. Yum. I'll come around for breakfast at your house tomorrow. Thanks very much. <laughs> that sounds delicious. What a great start to the it, day. It really is. Um, I, I think I that's my fallback to actually. That's my favourite. I probably have that four mornings a week, which I'm really lucky. Mm, that is good. Now tell us how did you get into this magical world of periods? Um, like how did you end up coming to have such a passion for breaking the taboo for women? Is Have you got a certain – like a a story or a health crisis of your own that got you onto this path? Um, I don't have a health crisis, um, so to speak. Um, I I fell pregnant when I was studying to be a naturopath um, accidentally and then we fell pregnant with our second surprise. Um, And after two beautiful, healthy babies, 
Um, I needed to figure out how to stop falling pregnant because I wasn't going to go back on the pill. Um, and actually, I hadn't been on for a long time anyway. So, um, so yeah, basically, my research started around figuring out how I could stop falling pregnant uh, without the pill and that led me down this road. So as I was traveling, I built this massive passion. And I think the biggest thing was that it was information that I felt that I should have known about myself and my body, uh, but the knowledge had never passed, um, had never passed me. And then I, as I asked lots of different women about their signs and symptoms and whether they knew that they could do this natural fertility management, everyone was really surprised, even to the fact where a friend of mine had three boys and she asked if she ovulated during her period. And I was actually so blown away by how, how much, or sorry, how little women knew about their, their bodies uh, that it became my mission to spread this information. Um, and I I um I feel that that was so long ago, and even after writing a book, um, it's still my passion is stu still fueled by this topic. Um, so yeah, my and not a health crisis, but a necessity. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. We we don't get much in the way of education around it. I know it's a lot better. I think it's I think it's getting better, and I think it's a lot better than it was like a generation ago. I know that um my mum she won't mind me sharing this story because this fueled her to really educate me around periods and what to expect and what was normal and what wasn't normal because um, at the age of 11, she got her periods during a game of rounders, which is an English game, but it's a bit like baseball and you kind of have to run around. You know, it's not good when you just got your period and you, you've got no, nothing to um, soak it up with. And when she got absolutely when she got home, she said to her mum, "Mum, like, um, what's wrong with me? Am I dying? I'm bleeding from in between my legs." And my gran, rest of the soul, said, "Oh, it's probably that you've just eaten too many tomatoes." <laughs> no, <laughs> that can't be. I oh, know. And then and then my, it's for real. And then my, my oh goodness, the my poor, poor girl. No, no, my poor mammy got shipped off to a, a more like radical auntie who sort of talked her through it all and got her one of those chastity belt type you know back in the day you had to wear that belt with a big pad on it and stuff and got her got her organized but yeah you know like mum said like that was a real when she had me her only daughter she was like right I'm gonna make sure you know what to expect and there's no taboo around it and she was brilliant really supportive so it's a similar kind of um passion you know like you, you want to educate other women so that they know what's going on with their bodies otherwise it's completely terrifying isn't it yeah, and I, I mean, times have definitely changed since your mother's story. Um, but still, I mean, I, I talk and see a lot of teenage girls and I'm still surprised at how little they know. I think they all know to expect a period, but I think we can really change the conversation around that. Um, as a mum of two daughters, my conversation with them started when they were little because I just couldn't get have a toilet stop without on my own without the children so I started the conversation really early and now uh, one is almost eight and one is nine and they know exactly what to expect they know that it doesn't hurt they know that they're going to get it once a month and you know even my nine-year-old when she found out it was going to happen every month she was so surprised she's like that's a bit unfair um so I do, I really am passionate about this topic and even getting mums of sons and daughters to share this information. So it is normal and it's not considered um, pain or I guess, you know, little kids associate blood with pain. 
so yeah, it's um it is a great topic and it's it's definitely changing, but there's still so much more conversation that needs to be had around it. Mm. So as as a lot of the our listeners are mums, like what sort of messages and what's the right kind of thing to be sharing with our kids? Like, because, you know, you can obviously go too far, but like, what, what can we, what, what sort of things do you do, Amanda, to, to get the message across to your girls? Um, look, it all actually started. Probably some women would think that this was too far, but as I said, I couldn't go to the toilet on my own without my kids. Um, so I would lock the door when I had my periods to hide them from that and that just caused them so much trauma. So one day I just didn't lock the door and they saw the blood on the pad and I did only use pads for quite a long time because I found that easy to explain. And then they would just see the blood and if they knew that it was the time of my period, they wanted to see it. So they were so intrigued and that started conversations over the years. Now that my daughter's mind asking lots more questions about when she'll get her period. So as uh, as the three of us, and even my husband is here for a lot of these conversations, I speak about, um, you know, what age you might expect to get your periods, but first what signs and symptoms they will get first. So my daughter regularly checks her underarms now, and she's going to kill me when she's 18. She has to listen back on this, but she um, – she, She'll check her underarms and she'll ask me, is there any hair there yet, mum? So we openly have these conversations. She she knows that pubic hair um, and, you know, and we talk about all all the different products that they can use. We've spoken about period undies even um, because they're really concerned about swimming and we talk about tampons. And um, so I, like, I don't, to me, there's not there's not too far with that topic. Um, we've kind of done all of it and it's been a massive exposure. It was uncomfortable for me in the beginning, um, but now it's just normal. It's not – it's not – Yeah. It's not normal. It, it's not not normal and it's yeah, not, not gross not anymore. It's yeah. blood and it's just – yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really glad. <laughs> Too many negatives. I like the way that you've um, you've described that, Amanda. And really, what I realise now, you know, when I, when I asked my question, it was like obviously he got too far, and that just that just right there just shows you how we've been kind of um, socialised to keep it behind locked bathroom doors and to to have it as a bit of a gross, disgusting thing that you don't want to scare your kids with. But but you've kind of given me in just what you've described oh, there. Oh well. You've given me the permission to just really talk about this stuff as if I would talk to my best friend about it. It's just like, yeah, love, this is what it is. And they are naturally curious. I mean, we've all got, those of us who've got kids, we don't get any private bathroom trips, you know. So both of my (laughs) son and my daughter have seen what goes on. You know, I can't even talk about this. See what goes on. (laughs) Even I've got really (laughs) uncomfortable talking around it, even though I'd call myself quite radical and uh, laid back. But, you know, like they've they've seen it first, first, and what happens so that uh, that's really interesting because you're right you can't take it too far you know that's genius yeah and I think everyone has their different levels but I think it's just starting and then getting comfortable with that next level and then taking it to the next one I mean you know even there I mean and there is two we all have our own boundaries even when it comes to talking about sex or how babies are made we talk about the sperm coming from daddy's testicles and we talk about the egg coming from the ovaries which are near the uterus but I haven't had the penis in vagina conversation yet so (laughs) you know there's 
I just said it, didn't I? Um, so, you know, there is too far um, and we all just need to get to a level of comfortableness. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. With I the penis and the vagina. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I know that you're looking to be giving a few, a few women a good laugh now as they're on their walk or they're doing the housework, tuning in or driving in the car. They're like, oh, so that's good. So I love Everyone's that. going too far, too far. Too much Yeah, no, it's gold, 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 gold. All right. So when it comes to periods, what is normal? Like, because I know when you and I first met, we had a very excited, rushed conversation around, you know, people think this is normal and it's common, but it's not normal. But talk us through, is there such a thing as like a blanket normal? Is, is it different for everyone? Tell us a little bit more around what we should be putting up with and what we shouldn't be putting up with. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that there's a range of normal because, I, I mean, once you sit there and say normal and if I go through what the textbook says that normal should should be if you sit outside of that it doesn't make it abnormal because it's your normal so it is it is hard and it's, it's a difficult subject because I don't want people out there to think that um, what is going on is not normal but for example I had a patient last week and um, her pain that she experiences in her period is absolutely abnormal and she's not had much help over the past I mean she was 16 when she got a period she's 23 now so she's not had much help um, over that time, but when I actually started questioning her about the blood loss and how much blood she's using and how many sanitary products she's going through, it turned out that she's losing um, around 150 mil of blood. So for her, that's normal. But what average is 50 mil, once you calculate and getting to over 80 mil, we're now considering a heavy excessive period. So when I talk about blood loss and what that means, I use a formula uh, which wasn't created by me. Um, I learnt it from um, Dr. Lara Bryden, who is also a women's health naturopath, and she talks about a full regular tampon or pad equating to 5 mil, and then she talks about a full uh, super pad or tampon equating to 10 mil. So if you're using super tampons and you're going through six a day, six in one day, that's 60 mil blood loss, so you've already taken over that average amount. Um, also for this um, particular patient that I'm talking of, she would talk about 50 cent size clots and she would see many of them throughout the cycle. So it is, it, it's normal and expected to see small stringy type clots, but if you're seeing regular 50 cent clots that are dropping out of you, um, you know, there's something else going on. When we talk about pain or we talk about PMS, it does seem to be, uh, I guess, symptoms that women expect to experience. So because we're expected or because it's considered normal, women brush it off and don't actually do anything about them. So a little bit of cramping and discomfort can be normal. But once you're getting to the point where it's significantly affecting your thinking, because pain absolutely does that, or if you're needing neuro then it's too far and there's something that more can be done. Now, you know, taking urethane and the pain subsiding, that can be really quite mild for some people because for others I've seen women fainting and vomiting because of their pain. I've seen women, um, my patient, uh, she's actually a, um, a pretty good example actually, but she would not go to school for one day out of every single period mm. because she was vomiting with pain and curled up. So if you're having to take these pain medications, then it's too much and there's something more that can be done. Um, unfortunately, 
girls are put on the pill and then if that's not enough, then they will consider the rod and the pill um, and then, you know, pain medication. Um, but, you know, that that shouldn't be expected. We shouldn't be expected um, and brushed it off as if it's just normal women. Even when we talk about PMS, um, you know, I, I mean, there's a condition and there's awareness building around this condition. It's polymorphic dysphoric disorder, and that stands for PMDD. And I see some women who are suicidal the week before their pregnancy and they want to divorce their husbands. Um, but outside of that, they're this normal functioning person, and then they kind of hit this time. Um, but even just bad, terrible moods, you know, you, you don't you don't have to be that moody person that everyone's trying to avoid that week before uh, your, your period comes. So I, I think I've talk, talked um, about, you know, a few of the common symptoms, but all of them, there is something that can be done, but it really need, we need to change our language. It's common. It's not normal, but it's also common for us to expect that it's normal. So we just mm. think that it's our destiny because that we're women. Um, but you know, that's not the case and there's so much that can be done. And really within quite a short time frame, um, which is really rewarding for me to actually see yeah. women be surprised at how quickly then they can feel better. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And just, yeah. just to clarify, when you were mid-flow then and it was all downloaded and you were sharing your wisdom, you, you said um, people want to leave their husbands and kill everyone a week before their pregnancy, but you mean period, don't you? Just oh, to clarify, period. in case people think, yes. really? Is this what to expect in the, in the final trimester? <laughs> <laughs> Is that normal? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, before your period. That, you know, <laughs> just, that is so fascinating and I'm going to be counting my tampons next time I have a period because I know me and my best friend Rosie we always joke that you know they say that you're only meant to lose an egg cup worth of blood during your period but yet we reckon we'd be much more than that so I guess that's how we can now all go around and work out if we've got a heavy period or not right and what it and like absolutely like when I was younger like my periods were lighter and as I've got older they have got heavier and when I was in a really bad place health-wise they were horrendous. Like now they're a lot better. I feel like a 19 year old again, but is it, is, do periods get heavier as you get older or is that a sign of other things going on in your body? Um, I, I think that absolutely. I mean, there's a perimenopausal window of 10, possibly up to 15 years. So hormones do change. Um, and especially because as we age, our ovulation changes. So you might not be ovulating every cycle. And if you're not ovulating, you're not producing progesterone. So then you have this estrogen that is left unopposed and higher amounts of estrogen, absolutely heavier periods. But we can also, there are more factors than just getting older and coming up to that perimenopausal time. So stress is such a massively underestimated impact on women's hormones and periods. And it also comes back to this progesterone um, situation. So when we talk about stress, um, you know, acute stress is fine for the body, but chronic stress and when we're consistently calling on cortisol to um, come to the party and trying to deal with this stress, um, this constant cortisol, eventually our body gets exhausted and runs out of those raw materials to make the cortisol. So what happens when we look at um, 
I guess um, within my in my book, I have this this building block process. So your hormones start from cholesterol, it moves down to pregnenolone, and then it branches off and makes certain hormones. So what when your body is running out of cortisol, it then kind of comes up and steals pregnenolone, and then makes cortisol instead of pregnenolone moving into progesterone. So there is this phenomenon called um, pregnenolone steal, or sometimes progesterone steal. And if you don't have the adequate progesterone, you have the unopposed estrogen again. Um, but excess stress or continual stress, which is absolutely what so many of us have, um, can change how um, your hormones are balanced by each other and how they have this dance with each other. Um, so, you know, one of your hormones becomes more dominant just because the other one isn't being produced due to life circumstances. So, and the body, the body does that in a clever way. Um, I mean, back years ago when food wasn't as readily available as it is now, you know, your body would source that there was a famine, which would be a stressor. So the hypothalamus would, you know, it doesn't, we don't, in times of stress and in times of famine, we don't want to be able to make a baby. So it, making progesterone is certainly not then, um, you know, an important factor for the body. So the, it's doing it in a protective mechanism. It's, it's knowing that we should, we, we don't have enough nutrition to support this baby with stressed so hey let's deal with the stress response and let's not produce progesterone so it's not the, the the way that the body works isn't there against us it's actually there for us it's just that our stresses have changed but the the by the, the biochemical way that our body works hasn't so um, it's also rather than blaming our bodies, it, we need to take responsibility for how we're living our life and the choices that we're making and and, and sometimes that can be women are pushing themselves too much and we've got too, too many responsibilities and we're working too hard and we need to step back and we need to look at our stress management and how we can alter that. So perimenopause, absolutely, um, and stress is absolutely a major factor and then we can have a whole other conversation about inflammation as well. But um, I probably should let you pipe in here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in your opinion then, Amanda, how – how many of us, like if you say on a percentage scale, how many of us are stressed? Oh, my goodness. I I haven't even looked at statistics for that. But if I look at the women that are sitting opposite me. Yeah, that's and, what I mean. I mean, your I can't. Clients, if I'm people taking, you see, like in your opinion, just your opinion, not stats, but just from the people that you see ooh. in clinic, how many would you say were stressed? It's very, very high. I would, I would, I would say three quarters, if not more. And the stresses are different. Um, anxiety is on the rise, and anxiety is a major cause of stress and exhaustion, as well as every too much to do. Um, and you know, even if I take it a little step further, everyone has to check all these boxes when they come to see me. And low libido is a box that gets checked by 99% of women and I say and I try to reassure women um, you know I have to make sure that there's no reasoning behind that but when we look at libido and we look at why women's libido is struggling it's because there's already too much to do in the day um, so and to, to me that comes back for stress for the women and all of their jobs and duties so like I you know almost all women um, 
significantly stressed. And I do see, I do see some beautiful women that are retired, um, but then their stresses change. So they don't have the stress of the job or the career or the family business, but they're dealing with this new stress of the kids have left. They thought it was going to be something <laughs> and it's a little bit different and they're trying to adjust to that. And then they have to figure out who they are again. And once they get on that path, they calm down. So, look, stress just plays such a massive part of every generation um, that, you know, it's definitely three quarters, if not more, that uh, are dealing with too much stress and not and not taking enough time for themselves to really settle that cortisol response Um yeah, it's 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 a very it's a it's a really big problem actually. So what can we do? Like, because I think most of us um, know that we're stressed, and and I know that I get stressed worrying about if I'm stressed. Um, so what can I what, what can I do to 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 counteract that cortisol response? What can I do to kind of chill my nervous system out so that it doesn't screw my hormones up? Oh, look, I think that. Um, when when we talk about stress, it needs to stress management needs to be a part of everybody's daily routine. Um, I talk about morning routines with people where um, you, you give yourself, and I mean, you know, this information certainly isn't new and it's not mine, but it's where you get up half an hour or an hour earlier and you fill that time up with things that. Are for you and you alone. So you're not getting up to answer the emails or do anything. You're getting up to, um, you know, is exercise your thing, is reading your thing, is sitting in a cup of tea in nature your thing. And, you know, getting up earlier in, in the wintertime is a little bit harder, but um, is listening to music your thing? Is knitting what relaxes you? Um, is stretching and doing yoga. So it's, it's, it's prioritizing, even if it's 15 minutes earlier in a morning, it's prioritizing, prioritizing time for you where you fill your cup up first. Um, I, I think it's really, really important to set an alarm for times during the day where you stop and you take five slow, long, deep breaths in and out. Um, and I especially recommend people doing that before they sit down to eat. Um, you need to turn that stress response off so you can be in a restful situation to actually digest the food that you're about to eat and you've spent so long on making to nourish your body. There's no point having this healthy meal in front of you if you're eating it stressed and your blood flow is, is moving away from your digestive system. So, yeah, I, I set your alarm for times of the day to just spend time bringing down that cortisol, those five deep breaths in and out, um, spending 15 to 30 to 60 minutes within the morning really filling your cup up first and giving yourself joy um, and getting enough sleep and saying no, actually. I think saying no is massive these days because there's so much activity around um, so many different things, and I think sometimes you need to say no, whether it's to a social thing, to it's a work thing. You need to um, need to have that time to recoup, rest, and in, in spend enjoyable time with family. Um, so they're my they're my awesome. tips off the top of my head. No, I like those. They're really really good, actionable. Um, takeaways, which is great. And is it is, is it really – so if I've had like a massive stressful day, I can feel cortisol pumping through my veins, just five deep breaths. Will that be enough time to 
you know, get out of that um, fight or flight mode? Is that all it takes? Yeah, so research says that that can switch that stress response off um, and for you to be in a relaxed state ready to eat and digest. Um, So do I think that that's enough? No, probably not. And I would recommend, you know, trying to get in longer bits of meditation um, along the way, absolutely, or even, you know, it – coming back to affirmation lists and coming back to a positive mindset, um, writing a gratitude list. Like there's so many different things that can be done, but I'm dealing with so many people that are so time poor. So, you know, at a minimum, it's the five deep breaths. Um, and that's at a minimum. Um, so we can move so much further past that. Um, you know, ideally if you had a lunch break and you could do a five minute meditation, that would be better. Um, having three five-minute meditations throughout the day, but then having a 10-minute meditation is better. Um, You know, so it's always having that minimum requirement and knowing that you can build on it. Mm. But it's really important to schedule it in. So, you know, like you know that the kids have to be at school at 9 o'clock or they have to be at the bus stop at a quarter past 8 and, you know, your lunch break is at 12 o'clock, it's it's putting it in so it becomes a pattern and it's always starting small. So even if you start five slow deep breaths just before dinner every day and that's your starting point and you make that a religious practice and and then move it on, um, you can build on it and it's just about really prioritizing that time but prioritizing stress reduction for overall health uh, especially hormonal health. No, I think that's brilliant. And I think that five slow, deep breaths is so easy. Like anyone, you could, no matter where you are, you know, even if it's on your way home from work, you could do that. You know, if you're walking the dog, you can do that. It's so doable. I really like that. And I really like your, um, I really like your idea about scheduling as well. And like, you know, the kids have got to be at school at this time. You need to do your meditation at this time, because if you don't schedule this stuff in, you know, we never, we, we always run out of time in the day. I know I'm a big scheduler from, from way back. My mum told me, um, good old mum, she features again in the podcast. She'll be going, woo, when she's, when she's <laughs> listening. But my mum told me when I was a little girl about Parkinson's law and she said, you know, t- work fills to, to for the time that you give it. So if you've got half an hour to get dinner done, you will get it done. But if you've got all afternoon to get it done, you won't get it done. You'll just mess around and waste time and get nothing done, you know. Um, so I'm a big scheduler. Absolutely. So I always have in my you know my day, I've got my exercise, I'll go for my walk before the kids get back from school, and I meditate after lunch every day for 20 minutes because I just really find that that helps me digest my food better. I'm dealing with gut dysbiosis and recovering, so it's like that really works. And you know what's really interesting is today I was hosting a demo before this podcast and it went over and I was in a bit of a rush and I literally scoffed down my lunch, which I haven't done in a long time, and um, <laughs> and then just jumped straight into this interview. And then we had tech issues. We had half an hour of stress with laptops <laughs> not working. And I'm sat here talking to you now and I literally have got this balloon of bloating you know and I'm just like I didn't digest any of that lunch you know it's just it's just sitting there because I was in complete cortisol Mm. yeah you know it's just interesting isn't it but that absolutely I don't feel bad about that I'm just really I just think wow there's no failure it's only feedback and I'll be going back to my relaxed lunch and meditation practice tomorrow I can't wait and it's all about awareness too so 
you know, we can, I think that it's bringing awareness to it. So, so this is going to happen again because we, we all have schedules and you have meetings to be and you need to kind of eat. But it's about being aware and going, oh, goodness, I know I shouldn't do this. How can I How can I make this better next time? So um, it's certainly just bringing awareness to how stressed you are and in what states you're eating um, and even in what states you're surviving. Mm. Um, yeah. Gold. So, Gold. Yeah. All right, let's talk. Before we get into our readers' questions from uh, Nessie and Naomi, let's get into inflammation. Like I know it's a massive topic to unpack on a podcast, but how, how does inflammation affect our periods? Well, inflammation affects um, our periods really quite directly in terms of how um, – the receptor, the receptors can actually receive the hormones themselves, and how they function. It's more at, so it, it is absolutely how the hormones um, like are produced, but as well as you know, even if the hormones are there, if the receptor sites are inflamed, then they're not going to be able to have the action and exert the action. Whenever we have inflammation within the gut, then we know that our um, our flora um, create, uh, can um, is affects our health, but our flora also really affects um, hormones or specifically estrogen detoxification. So if we have dysbiosis and about an, a terrible balance where we have more bad bacteria than we do good, then we have estrogen being binded up in the liver for detoxification. But then it comes to the bowels, and then the good work that the liver has done has actually now unbound that estrogen and then we've got more estrogen circulating as well as more estrogen being made. So inflammation of the gut then directly affects estrogen detoxification and then this now balance again between estrogen and progesterone. So the impacts of inflammation are massive. Um, And I guess what people um, don't take into consideration is 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 what is causing the inflammation in their world. And partly we don't want to because we don't want to give up these yummy foods that could be affecting us. And maybe we're ignoring symptoms um, that exist or maybe we don't know that the symptoms that exist are even related to the foods that we're eating. So when we look at um, inflammation within the gut, it comes back to, you know, absolutely what you would have talked about with people being, um, you know, having a grain-free business. But, it, you know, it comes down to, um, the common things like gluten and dairy, absolutely they're both causing so much inflammation um, within the gut, within the receptor sites and within that uh, that communication uh, pathway between the brain and the ovaries. Um, and, you know, we can move so far as to alcohol, you know. Um, you know, I think that in moderation everything is fine, but if you have hormonal imbalances and if you have health issues currently, then you need to realize the impact that that, uh, alcohol can be having on inflammation within the body. And and one of my favorites, which it was a much bigger conversation many years ago, but now people are certainly moving away from those toxic vegetable oils. Um, But, oh, my. Yep, still here. um, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) My phone 
headphones on silent, but it rings through my earphones. I apologize for that. But, you know, when we talk about the toxic vegetable oils and switching out all of those and looking at the products that they're in, you know, those vegetable oils are such are so high in omega-6s that is so anti-inflammatory that if you consume so many of those toxic vegetable oils, you can never offset or get a better balance with omega sixes and omega-3s so you're constantly in this inflammatory state so inflammation and where it comes from in our body or in our lifestyle plays a massive part with general health but very specifically hormonal health wow that's whew, so much to take on so if we're on a you know if we're following a primal lifestyle we've ditched the seed oils we've ditched the sugar we've ditched the grains we're moderate with our alcohol and we're you know spending time in nature you know, sleeping good and managing stress, we're doing a bloody good job to to give ourselves the best chance, would you say? Absolutely. Not too much to ask for though, is it? <laughs> no. No. So you touched on you touched on alcohol. Um and you know I like to ask my three questions. So you touched on alcohol, so you said, all right, in moderation, but obviously if you're dealing with gut dysbiosis or hormone health, you might need to cut it out for a while or cut it out altogether or you know and what about chocolate and coffee what are your what's your personal opinion on those two great area topics yeah so um i'm gonna hit coffee first coffee if you love coffee so much then coffee shouldn't be accompanied by sugar and dairy because they are really quite inflammatory so um if you love coffee and coffee is your thing There are many health benefits to coffee and there's so much research to say that there are certain benefits but also within limits. So if you love your coffee, there are great benefits for um, your body but you can't accompany that with dairy and then sugar because you're just then loading it up with with inflammatory um, properties. Um, But also excess coffee is a problem too. So excess coffee can be a problem for um, the stress system within your body and overexerting your nervous system. So, you know, coffee in moderation as well, bulletproof coffee, probably the best type of option or something along those lines. And when it comes to chocolate, you know, I mean, I don't know how much you love Joe Witten. Joe Witten has such a fantastic chocolate recipe that is homemade, healthy, full of beautiful fats with, you know, a little bit of honey to sweeten it, but none of the, the soy lecithin and those additives. So, you know, it's really hard. Even some cooking chocolates have gluten in it for crying out loud. So chocolate depends on where you're getting it from. Um, I see a lot of women that dairy doesn't work for. So chocolate in a dairy perspective um, is not so great. But if you're going to make beautiful homemade chocolate and treat yourself with beautiful dairy-free, you know, organic chocolate, then also moderation, great. So it's never an easy answer with me. I always kind of go off into so many different tangents, but I think I've covered those questions. I think you have covered those <laughs> questions. So let's get into the reader's questions from Nessie Weir. So Nessie says that her partner, Amy, would like to know why some months are heavier and other months are much lighter. Why can't? Why can they be inconsistent? So you broke up there for a little bit, but um, I think that I think that we've kind of talked on this topic when we talked about heavier bleeding and sometimes they're lighter. Um, so look, once again, it comes down to what's happening for that individual person, and then what's affecting the cycle. So I get women to, to track their cycle really quite 
um, closely. So they're starting to understand what's happening. So we have two phases of the menstrual cycle. We have a follicular phase and a luteal phase. The follicular phase is dominated by estrogen and the luteal phase is dominated by progesterone. So when I get women to track their cycles, I'm getting women to track the length of these phases so we can see if there if the the follicular phase is stretching out too far and then we look at things that can absolutely affect that. Sometimes it can be travel, different time zones, illness, absolutely stress. Um, and then we look at the luteal phase and whether that's long enough to suggest that we have adequate progesterone. So as we age and we talked about the we talked about, you know, stress and we talked about perimenopause and we talked about getting older. So there's so many different factors and it really um, can come down to an individual basis, but there shouldn't be so many inconsistencies. Um, I think that th th there can be some inconsistencies and your cycle could range between, you know, three days from cycle length to cycle length. Um, and depending on your health and your stress, uh, absolutely. Um, I do see it, but I try to get people's cycles more consistent as we eliminate things that can be causing hormonal imbalances for them. Perfect, Anna. And Naomi says, keto and periods going missing. When healing the gut, does your body prioritize that first and then periods after? So, um, it always, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Will you want a keto diet to improve your gut health and being on the keto diet, you've lost your period? So, ketogenic diets long term for so many women will stop a period because you're missing out a whole entire macronutrient um, and your body's sensing that as a stress. It's not getting something that it needs. Um, I do understand that, that people go on a ketogenic diet for gut healing and I think for a short-term period it can be really helpful. Um, I, I do believe that the gut also needs starches and fiber because that's what the, the gastrointestinal bacteria feed from. Um, but I do understand that a lot of carbohydrate foods can stimulate undesirable gastrointestinal symptoms such as bloating or reflux or burping or flatulence. So I think that a ketogenic diet for a time frame to alleviate symptoms. And if you get better gut health that way, then great. Um, I do think that at some point for your gut health, you're still going to have to add in that starch and that fiber to feed the flora. Um, but, you know, even when we look at strict carbohydrate diets, whether we look at the specific carbohydrate diet, we look at the FODMAP diet, we look at those diets combined in a, in a, um, a SIBO diet, um, most people can tolerate some form of starch slash good, good carbohydrate. So when I talk about good carbohydrates, I can talk about things like sometimes oats um, or white potatoes and sweet potatoes and rice. Um, but for some people to introduce these foods, you need to start with small amounts. So even when we look at the SIBO diet, sometimes you can have sweet potato or white potato, but it's a quarter of a cup or half a cup. Um, and then for some people, white potato just isn't going to work, but they can tolerate rice. And for some people, they, can, they can't tolerate rice, and that's what's causing a lot of their problems, but they can have white potato and oats. So I think that once you've – like if you've gotten to a certain point with gut health with the ketogenic diet, and if I'm understanding the question properly, you still need to feed your gut bacteria, and they're not being fed adequately um, oftentimes. But to bring your periods back, you need to aim for – 
a minimum of 100 grams of carbohydrates a day and you need to look at what carbohydrates are going to work for you and not give you those um, undesirable symptoms. And that's different for everybody. Um, but I do find that um, the core treatment for bringing back periods is the carbohydrate. So I can work with people for, for months and if they're not going to bring in the carbohydrate, I kind of say to them that I, we need to stop treatment until you're ready to um, bring this back. And I've had one patient in particular who um, I, you know, I would run into all the time and she was a patient that I said, you know, if you're not willing to bring in the carbohydrates, then I don't, you know, I don't want to waste your time or your money, but come back when you are ready. And I would run into her and she actually started making her own um, normal white potato fries and she would cook it in tallow um, and she made her own um, aioli with, you know, eggs and apple cider vinegar. So, you know, all beautiful, healthy choices. Um, it sounds like a treat to some people, um, but for her and, you know, it was four to five months, it, it, four to five months today and I said to her, you know, this time frame and her periods came back. It took, it's, then we had to work at getting them regular again. Um, but, you know, carbohydrates is a really, really important part of healthy hormones and in, in my opinion, healthy gut. And I know that there's absolutely um, many health benefits to the ketogenic diet. But if you don't have, um, you know, epilepsy or severe mental illness and th things like that where it can help, I don't know that that diet is great for most people to, to stay on long term. Very interesting. I like a different point of view and a different perspective. It's really good because there is no one way. And it's really good to hear all sorts of different opinions so that you can work out what's going to work best for you. And it's always really good to work with your own functional medicine practitioner or a naturopath, um, isn't it, to, to go through your – it's very hard to, um, you know, to do things from a little question on, on Facebook. But I think you answered that really, really well, and that gave me a lot of – food for thought so thank you very much now amanda where can we find you what's your facebook page what's your website page what's your book called uh i have two books one is know your flow so know your flow is essentially all about women's hormones um contraception well popular contraception methods and then others and then all these lifestyle factors and body symptoms that um can affect hormones and how they affect the hormones and then what you can do about it so that's called know your flow uh that can be purchased from my website which is www.asnatureintended.com.au um that is also now an ebook so you can download that um without postage uh the second book is the Nourished Family, which is a gluten and dairy and sugar-free cookbook, um, except for one recipe isn't dairy-free, but I just had to include it. Um, it has chocolate in it. Um, so, And that was a collaboration of seven different um, uh, colleagues of mine who share a similar passion. Um, and, yeah, so Facebook is As Nature Intended. There is an As Nature Intended in the UK, so I'm, I am asnatureintended.au, and I have the same ending to instagram so that's where you can find me awesome well thank you so much for your time today amanda you have given us lots of insight and shed a lot of light around what is normally a taboo topic so thank you excellent thank you so much helen for having me you're welcome 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.